Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, and make sure you subscribe and comment, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you leave a five-star review, etc., we're not joined by one Lutheran John Ross this week, but we are joined by... Hey everybody, Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. Man, I kind of miss the days when that was just a bit, when you just didn't know how to introduce <laughs> yourself, and now it just flows so well. It's, <laughs> a, it's a testimony of my humi- humility, right? Like, I, I, I struggle to talk about myself, and I'm just kidding. It's just like how Moses was the most humble person. Most humble ever. And signed. Moses. <laughs> Sign Moses. <laughs> so yeah. we had a uh, we had a question a couple weeks ago that we put off. Uh, it was in the Inquisition, but basically go in on the monergism versus synergism thing. You could say something along the lines of Calvinism slash Augustinianism versus everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> However you want to put that, whether it's Molinism, Arminianism, Pelagianism, Semi-Pelagianism, and the list goes on. Right? Right. Revisionism uh, and all the other isms. Uh, so really, what does it? What does this discussion of monergistic salvation versus synergistic salvation boil down to? Well, in the simplest terms, um, regeneration, um, being born again, being saved, mm-hmm. um, in in from a monergistic standpoint, means that God is the sole decisive. Um, um, factor, right? In 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 bringing that about, um, you know, you might think about First Peter chapter one verse three: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, He has caused us mm-hmm. to be born again to a living hope." That that screams monergism. Mm-hmm. Synergism would be, in its simplest terms, that there is more of a cooperative effort between yep. the the grace of God, the work of the Spirit of God in salvation, and human will in choosing or right. deciding or placing faith in God, and and there's this synergistic work that happens that ultimately results in salvation. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of where it starts, at least logically in my mind, is how depraved are we, right? Mm-hmm. It is is uh, is my will actually able to exercise itself in order to make some kind of decision for God? And I would say no. Right. Absolutely not. Uh, the mindset on the flesh cannot please God, and it's hostile to God. Yep. So the mind and the will have to be changed first. It's not free. In, right in in the pagan sense of it, which which is what has crept in. Yeah, I th- I think is treating people as radically neutral free agents, which Scripture doesn't leave room for. You are either for God or against Him, right? It, yeah, and I think there are 
there there are verses in the Bible that do laud the human will and or it or at least emphasize the human will and and the mm-hmm. element of choice you know the, there's the old testament call choose you this day whom you will serve right right um and then you know you 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 think about um john 316 this gets brought up a lot mm-hmm. for god so loved the world he gave his only son uh that who whosoever would believe in him um would have everlasting life, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So there, there, there do seem to be verses in the Bible that talk about, you know, the human agency, right. Um, and our will being involved, but there is so much in scripture. You have to let scripture interpret scripture. Mm -hmm. For example, um, John chapter one, I can't remember the verse numbers, but in John chapter one, it says to as many as, received him who believed on his name to them he gave the right or the power to become the children of god Mm -hmm. so if you just isolated that verse from the rest of the context it would seem that okay salvation becoming a child of god those those are synonymous things um is for those who believe and receive Right. So what I need to do is believe. I need to make a choice to believe, and I need to make a choice to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then he will be that, and I will then be a child of God. But if you keep reading, to as many as received him who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God who were born, not of the will of the flesh, nor of blood, but of God. So again, Scripture interprets Scripture. You have to ask the question, who are those who believe and receive? Well, those, they're those who are born. And mm-hmm. they're born not because of their own will yep. and, and and not born naturally of blood. They're born of God. There's a supernatural work that, that God does. And so you have to you have to let scripture inform how it is that we come to the place of because I think our will is involved. Sure. Romans chapter six, seventeen and eighteen, I think. Thanks be to God that you who are once slaves to sin. Why do I sin? Because my will's bound to that. That you, you go back to what you said earlier about us being totally depraved. Mm-hmm. In our in our natural state, we are bound to sin because that's what we want. Right. We're slaves to it. But Paul says in Romans, thanks be to God, he took those who were slaves to sin and they have become obedient from the heart and have become slaves to righteousness. So now my will is bound in salvation to righteousness as opposed to sin. So mm-hmm. my will is involved, but God has to do something by his sovereign purpose and will, by sovereign grace, to bring me out of one slavery into another. Yep. And from the from the 1689, uh, he renews their wills and desires, and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet he does this in a way, in such a way, that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. Yes. And, made willing is the key. And it's there's a one-to-one correlation here. It's those who are made willing do come. Yes. It's not as as in Arminian, Arminian theology which is like you cannot find this concept of prevenient grace in scripture where mm-hmm. where God it somehow whether it's through 
quote-unquote, pouring out the Holy Spirit on all flesh and all means all, don't you know, right? Mm -hmm. Or through the atonement somehow gets everyone to a neutral position again where they can answer yes or no. Right. You can't find that exegetically in Scripture. You you really all. can't. And I've I've had so many conversations with people over the years who have tried to make that argument. And I've asked them, "Show me in the Bible where it says that." And right. they just simply can't do it. Yeah. Um, it you know if if you think about it just at a purely philosophical standpoint, mm-hmm. our will is not free. It never has been, and it right. never will be free. Right. Now, this whole concept of free will, I mean, Martin Luther wrote about it, Jonathan Edwards wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and wrote brilliantly wrote about brilliantly it. Wrote brilliantly about it. Is, is we know, e- even from a philosophical standpoint, that our will is not free. We have a will, but it's all only and always bound to what we want. Mm-hmm. We only yep. do what we want. And so this is the way I always talk about it at Res, is that God has to fix our broken wanter. Mm-hmm. All have turned aside. All have gone their own way. No one does good. No one seeks after God. That's our. That's the state that we're born into mm-hmm. because of original sin. Yep. You know, the doctrine of original sin and total depravity run hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one gives rise to the other. So we 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 are born into a state where our will is bound to everything but the worship of the living God. Right from a pure heart, from a true heart, from a soft heart. And, you know, in Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to take out the heart of stone that you're born with, parentheses, Mm -hmm. and put in a heart of flesh or a soft heart that is now sensitive to God, longs for God, wants righteousness. Blessed are those who um, seek after righteousness, for they shall be filled, Mm -hmm. right? So who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. And who are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's only those that God has regenerated by his right. spirit and brought from, this is Ephesians, from death to life. We were mm-hmm. dead in our trespasses and sins. Why are we dead? What does that even mean? It means we're walking, talking corpses because our will is bound to sin and trespass yep. against the will of God. But according to his mercy, he's made us alive together with Christ now we share in his life, and we long for his kind of life. And, and this is the reason that Paul calls the preaching of the gospel foolishness. Or it's, it's literally the Greek word where we get the, our word for moron. <laughs> You're a moron for preaching the gospel to dead people, expecting them to become alive. Yeah. <laughs> because if, if you do the whole every head bowed and every eye closed thing, yep. which obviously we're not just shredding everyone. We're not denigrating. We would disagree with that method. Yep. But there are millions of people who have been legitimately saved through that. So sure. Not saying that's heretical. But if you if you walk into a funeral home and and go to the, the refrigerators <laughs> and say, All right, now raise your hand if you want to be saved, none of them are going to raise their hand. No. That's that is what we're talking about. Unless here. unless a miracle yes, happens, right? Exactly. Uh, that and that's a great analogy is that I think I even said this on Sunday is that you know when I began the teaching by saying, you know, asking a question, are are you church res church longing for the living God? Are you is your heart drawn to him? Well, if that's true, a miracle has happened mm-hmm. for you. That's uh, that, the miracle that we call salvation, which is 
salvation is not a choice humans make between death and life. It's a miracle that God brings about that brings people from death to life. Right. Um, and I, I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, the church needs to spend a lot of its time. I'm not saying all, but I would probably say the bulk of its time, the leadership of the church educating and discipling believers on what has already happened to them. Right. Because they don't they don't think well enough about it or deeply enough about yeah. it. And thus their joy is tempered because of it. Mm-hmm. So we uh we had um this brings up a question with a lot of people of if it's God sovereignly bringing people from death to life, what about the people he leaves dead? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the exact context. We had some kind of class or lecture or something here with your mentor, Brian Alkin. Mm-hmm. And the question was asked, man, that doesn't seem fair. And Brian's answer was, you don't want fair. No. Because fair is as <laughs> fair is God sending you straight to hell right now. Yep. <laughs> with with no grace, no nothing. You get what you earn. Yep. And fairness is e- eternal damnation immediately. Yep. So the fact that we're even breathing right now is grace from God. Yep. Uh, which really turns that question on its head about fairness because whoever said God had to be fair for one, yep. but for two, if he was, that's bad news. Well, and I think... John Piper says, you know, the the more you study scripture, the more your capacity for mystery has to go up. Yes. And I think one of the mysteries of the Bible is why is it that God has not made it known to us the basis upon which at least in detail, the basis upon which he chooses those whom he'll save. Right. We don't know. There's no verse in scripture that gives us the the indication of what um what is the basis of that choice Mm -hmm. that he would choose to save this person and not this person? We're all, you know, we're not born into a neutral state. There is not provenient grace that brings all of humanity to a neutral state. We're born dead in our sin. Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 the issue of salvation is God chooses to bring some out of that state of spiritual deadness into spiritual life. And it's not, it's not that we don't know why he does that. It's that we just don't know exactly how he does that. We know why, I think, and again, Edwards is helpful here uh, when he talks about, and I'm putting this in my own words, the fact that judgment and wrath for some highlights and accentuates that aspect of his glory. Yes. His righteousness is put on display in his damnation. Mm-hmm. of those who are in sin. Absolutely. His righteousness and wisdom and and sovereign grace is also put on display, that aspect of his glory, in the fact that he saves some. So I think the Bible does tell us why he saves some and not others. And and we may not like that, but, I mean, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 9, is that, you know, it, it, what if God, in order to... Uh, accentuate his mercy toward the vessels of mercy has endured vessels of wrath. Right. So I think the Bible does tell us why. It just doesn't tell us how. You know, it also, I had a point that I want to get to, but 
this brings up a point of God's damning of certain people is to accentuate his righteousness. It's not simply, well, you made a choice, (laughs) right? Right. But on top of that, if God desires everyone to be saved to the same extent, right, then God is eternally unhappy. Right. And we know that he's the exact opposite. Yep. Is it Zephaniah or Zach- Zephaniah where he's he rejoices over his people with singing? Yep. Uh, God is it, if in His presence is joy forever and pleasures forever, then God in and of His essence is eternally joyful. Yes. He cannot be eternally weepy over the fact that oh well, that guy and and Pacolet <laughs> didn't choose to follow me, and I'm just gonna be frustrated about that forever right it doesn't make sense no and plus because god has the power and ability to not give life naturally speaking to those who would not choose him right i mean why does he even give life to the likes of hitler and stalin and Mm -hmm. you know like if, if we think about some of the most wicked people in history like why does he even give them life right he must have purpose in it because he declares through isaiah that I'm the God who will accomplish all my purposes. I declare the end from the beginning. Yep. Um, he's, he's doing the most righteous thing. I mean, we have to, and I know this you know, harkens back to Matt Chandler's famous sermon at, at Elevation years ago, but we have to get our heads around the fact that God is ultimately and perfectly righteous in being all about himself yes um he could not be any other way if he was if he was about anything else other than himself he would be an idolater so he he is his primary goal the essence of his love is putting his own glory on display Mm -hmm. and he couldn't be more righteous in doing that right and he puts his glory on display in demonstrating his wrath and also demonstrating mercy and in you know, the crucifixion of Christ, what we have is that his mercy and justifying his people, he does not compromise his perfect righteousness in mm-hmm. doing so because he poured his wrath out on his own son. Exactly. So to my to the other point that I was going to bring up about the fairness question is behind that a lot of times, or even not just in the subtext, is they'll outright say it is because most of the people in the world are going to hell. Which, I think, has an underlying at least premillennialism, if not dispensationalism, behind it. Of the world's going to hell in a handbasket, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And my retort to that normally is, yes, right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, if you're post-mill, this obviously works. If you're on-mill, this can work too. Of I think at the end of history, we'll look around and say, yes, Jesus really did save the world. Right? It'll be that pervasive through the world. Yeah. Uh, not that everyone's going to be saved by any stretch of the imagination, right? Uh, but God wanted to redeem the world. So what does that mean? It means I think it means he redeems the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that it actually happens sovereignly through his grace. It's not through us um, taking the reins of the presidency and forcing Christianity on people or anything like that, but through the foolishness of preaching the gospel, Jesus actually saves the world. 
Yes, he does. Um, and and by world you mean cosmos, right? Yeah, right. Everything it, that he's made, right? Everything that he's made, and I think being post mill of the post or uh, did you see the Keith Foskey challenge Doug Wilson of of he. <laughs> Keith Foskey claims to be the king of amillennialism and says that we should uh, start calling ourselves Fancy Amill instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that, but... I'll show you later. But <laughs> but uh, if the gospel is going to pervade the world, then... At some in, point, in, in at some point, a generation, it, for the most part, might be saved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... In the long run. I don't... I, I, and I don't have any... any <laughs> delusions of grandeur that that's going to happen in 20 years or anything. I'm thinking thousands of years down the road, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, I think a lot of people misunderstand John 3.16, you know, for oh, God yeah. so loved the world. Mm -hmm. and, and people read that and they think that that's referring to the human part of the world. Yeah. Like that world is synonymous with humanity, yeah. And it's it's literally cosmos. It's everything God has made. Mm -hmm. He loves everything that He made. Why? Because it its purpose is to put His glory on display. And, and if, so, and if you partner that with Romans eight of creation, creation is groaning, groaning because they have because it has to put up with us. That's right. It's not groaning because it wants to be put out of its misery. Yeah. <laughs> It's groaning. You know, it's groaning because it wants to be redeemed from the mess that we've created. And and if you think about the cosmos, everything that he's made, you know, why does hell exist? Why why does it continue to exist? You know, some people think of hell as it being something that is totally detached from God's presence and being, mm -hmm. and it can't be right. It, it because wouldn't. He's everywhere. He's everywhere, and it it wouldn't exist if. He didn't will it, intend it to exist, mm -hmm. and if his presence in some way or another isn't sustaining it. Right. So everything that he's made, he loves for the sake of putting his own glory on display, which is perfectly righteous because he is most glorious. Mm -hmm. So he so loved the world, everything that he made, that he gave his son, because why? Because his intention is to redeem some, Mm -hmm. Those who believe, yep. and if you go back to John chapter 1, you find out how it is some believe. Mm -hmm. They're born of God. So some are going to be born of God, some are not, and they're going to experience wrath and judgment for all eternity. Mm -hmm. Others are going to experience perfect pleasure and joy in his presence forever. Yep, That is salvation. It's not either or. It's not like uh he saved part of his creation. No, he saved it all mm -hmm. because he accomplished his purpose in both wrath and judgment and in mercy. Yep. And that's a, candidly, that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. And I right. get it. And I think as pastors and church leaders, we need to be patient with people as they, you know, grow in their understanding of who God is, his character and nature and salvation but I'm telling you, the, the joy of salvation is only experienced fully when you realize God is the sole decisive factor yes. in the fact that I believe in him. Yep. It, it, Philippians, Paul says, and I'll let you talk. Yep. He says, it has been granted to you that you not only believe, mm -hmm. but also suffer for his sake. So... We, we could talk about suffering another time, but just take that first phrase. It's been granted to you that you believe. Yes. And it's why here at Res, we've talked 
we say this a lot, is we rejoice not only in what we believe, but in the fact that we believe. Yes, because the one who produced that belief in you is also the one who keeps you. Yep. Which ultimately means Calvinism, Monergism, Augustinianism, whatever, mm. produces more joy because you actually have confidence that something's happened to you mm-hmm. and that he'll keep you through the end of it. Yep. As opposed to, I, I've heard this from so many people of, well, I don't know if I meant that sinner's prayer mm. or I don't think I feel it enough or things like that, which who does that put the focus on is yourself, yeah. which is the worst place possible to be focusing when you're pondering totally. your own salvation. Totally. As opposed to the God who actually did all of the things for you and applied it to you and keeps you through it all. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, you know, I long for people, you know, I, you know, candidly, I had a, I had a, a couple leave the church uh, just a few months ago because uh, they could not get their head around this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the I, I'm not naming names here, but candidly, they have a son who's an unbeliever. Yep. And they, these were their words, we cannot be in a church that claims that God predestines people to hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, I get that. I have a lot of compassion for somebody who mm-hmm. has a, a, a an unsaved loved one and they're wrestling with this question, what if God has not chosen them? What if they're not elect? Sure. Um, and, and so I have compassion for that. But I long for people who struggle with the predestined to wrath piece to simply embrace the fact that I was predestined for salvation. Mm-hmm. That get get the good part first. Get the good part first. Is that read Ephesians and 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 you know wrestle with the fact that Paul says we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. and let the joy well up within your soul that a I didn't earn this, b I didn't I didn't bring this about, and c I'm not the one who's going to sustain it. Right. God is going to do all of that. First Peter chapter one again. We're being guarded by God's power through faith. The gift of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God gives us the very thing that's needed to please him. Mm-hmm. And his power is at work in our believing to keep us saved. Yep. Not only get us saved, but keep us saved. Let that joy spill over in your soul. And then embrace the fact that. If anyone else that I know and love is going to be saved, it's going to be brought about through the foolishness of preaching. Yep. And preaching, yep. don't think of what a pastor does on Sunday morning. Think of the inaugural proclama- proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Just realize God, salvation is God's work to do, and I get to participate with, in him, with him in it in proclaiming the good news and settle right there. Don't mm-hmm. spend too much time worrying about who's elect and who's not and is this person chosen or not because God hasn't told us yep. the basis upon yep. which he elects. So that leads me to conclude I'm I'm not to spend a whole lot of time and energy worried about that. Right. Think about the parable of the sower. Mm-hmm. How does the sower sow the seed? It's indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. He sows seed and some produces yep. because when good seed hits good soil, it produces. Mm-hmm. When it hits bad soil, 
it doesn't. Yep. You know, there, there, there are all types of bad soil, um, different characteristics of bad soil, but the bottom line is when, when the good seed of the word hits bad soil, it doesn't produce, but when it hits good soil, it does. Yep. Our job is to participate with Jesus in scattering the seed indiscriminately of right. the word. And, and how much, let me, you know, we can end here is how much more beautiful is this? Oh, it's then, so beautiful. Then God is doing his best to try and get everybody saved. He's not actually going to save anybody without their permission. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> As opposed to, uh, I mean, it's, it's just like every damsel in distress story, right? The, the knight in shining armor actually goes and saves, saves the princess. Yeah. He doesn't get her permission to not be eaten by a dragon. Yeah. Which obviously has under, you know, uh, the undertones of very Christian themes intentionally because the yeah. Middle Ages were a lot more Christian than we realize. Uh, but when, when the knight in shining armor goes and saves the princess or, you know, make it more modern, let's say there's a hostage situation in the, and Delta Force is sent in and they start often guys with silenced assault rifles. Mm-hmm. They don't get the permission of the people that they're saving. They go in and drag them out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what God does with us, except it's even more so like Sproul would say that uh, R.C. Sproul would say the illustration of, you know, God throws you a life preserver when you're, you know, you know, drowning, active drowning uh, in the ocean. It's like, no, the more accurate representation is you're a corpse at the very bottom of of the Marianas Trench, yep, and God pulls you to shore and makes you alive again. Yeah, that's what salvation is, yeah. Christianly speaking. Yeah, so. totally. It, it it is that, and we need to let it be that. We need to, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I I would encourage people that might be listening to this podcast and still wrestling with this. Um, think about, give some attention to the inconsistencies that exist with so much of the scripture that we read and so many of the songs we sing Mm -hmm. with this notion of synergism. Yep. I mean, like, alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope and no place to begin. Yep. What does that scream? That does not scream that salvation is, you know, I I picked the lock and got out of jail and ran to Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. it's it's that he literally rescued me yep. in my deadness and brought me to life. I mean, we the, the this kind of inconsistency with how we there's a longing in all of the saved to glory in the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And any effort to bring our synergistic effort alongside the sovereign grace of God it not only diminishes our joy, but it's incredibly inconsistent with the longing in our soul to laud his sovereign grace right. that bleeds through in the songs we write and in the way we talk about our own salvation. Right. I've, I've said this yep. maybe on the podcast before, but um, Brian Onkin was, um, you know, who comes and teaches here some, and I, I call him my pastor. He, um, was pastoring a church in California years ago, and he was teaching through Romans 8, uh, I think in a Bible study kind of setting. And some lady stood up in the audience and said, or he, he made room for questions, and a lady in the audience stood up and said, no, I don't believe that. I chose. I made a decision mm-hmm. for Jesus. This is not 
what happened for me. So she's lauding her experience over and above or reading it into what Paul actually says in Romans 8. Right. Um, and Brian just said, okay, tell us your salvation story. Tell, tell us how, you know, and she's, she's, this is the way she started. Well, I, I, I didn't grow up in church. You know, I didn't even know who Jesus was. I had zero interest in, in all of this. And I, I met this friend who was a Christian, started inviting me to church. And so reluctantly, just to appease her, I started going occasionally with her. And it was just, it seemed all like a bunch of hogwash and nonsense. And, you know, I forget her exact words. But she said, all of a sudden, though, one day, one Sunday morning, I went to church and it made sense. And she stopped and she goes, oh, and sat down. Yeah. And I think if you press people yep. who yep. hold so tightly to Arminian theology or Pelagianism or, you know, synergism, whatever label you want to give it, you press them on how they were saved. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like in salvation? And I think every time, I think every time they're going to land on were it not for God, were it not for his grace and the work of his spirit, I would still be dead in my sin. Yep. Yep. And side note, before we go to the Inquisition, the interesting thing about you know this being labeled Calvinism is Calvin wasn't most known for his soteriological writing. Right. He was known during the Reformation as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. <laughs> so if, so if you want some good Holy Spirit stuff, go read Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> most people that you know, in a negative way, accuse me of being a Calvinist, have never read John Calvin. Of course. In their life. Of they, course. They, and, and, and a lot of people that talk about Calvinism, I find they talk about a, a version of Calvinism that I don't even think John Calvin would have ascribed no, to. They end up describing hyper-Calvinism. Yeah. And, and so, anyway, um, that's why I always tell people, look, I'm a biblicist and a sovereigntist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't reject the label of Calvinism, but I I don't go around flaunting it either because of all the misconceptions about it. Right. I think John Calvin got a lot right, though. Oh, absolutely. But you know, when it's shorthand between the two of us and our podcast audience or whatever, you know, right, th- it helps to say, all right, now I believe Calvinism as opposed to listing out <laughs> all yeah. of the points and stuff like that. But anyway, Inquisition, sure. This is the Inquisition, where we take your questions, answer them on the fly, and you submit those questions via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. That normally happens on Mondays. I didn't do it this week because we carried over a couple of questions from last week. And for those of you who are unaware, my dog died on Friday, and I didn't feel like it, dadgummit. But (laughs) our, our beloved idiotic Pomeranian, uh, who w- went by the name of Fozzie. We had him for, well, I had him for 14 years. I actually had him longer than I knew my wife. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That dog just kept going. He was 16. He had congestive heart failure for six years and went out on his own terms. So, uh, you know. All dogs go to heaven, right? Yeah. If, if they do, he went right up to the big guns. <laughs> he went right up to Moses or Paul or Peter, and said, you're going to pet my belly right now. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. So uh, I, 
you know, I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe maybe he'll we'll see him in the resurrection. I don't know. Scripture isn't really explicit about that. But uh, <laughs> it's he, really it's really sad though that you guys. I mean, I know it's been hard for you. Right. It it has. Uh, we keep expecting to see him. You know, in random spots in the house, and then he's not there. Yeah. Uh, we you know, and hearing one deep you know Newfoundland bark when I get home, as opposed to little yappy one as well you know it you know things that we'll have to adjust to but he he lived a good full life and he got lots of belly rubs from a lot of people because he demanded it (laughs) (laughs) including that time he barged (laughs) on our church live stream test that was so awesome (laughs) that was so great we're sitting there on my couch lo- testing this live stream stuff. Yeah. And then Kristen accidentally opens her office door because she thought we were done. And then this little dog just, you know, <laughs> he's like, no, you're going to pet my belly in the middle of this right now. Right now. <laughs> so good. Love it. So, all right. First question from Eric Hall. Since we answered Brian Morris's question last week, Eric Hall asks for advice for a person whose church just hired a new senior pastor for the first time in its history. And he says, I'm asking for a friend, and that friend is me. <laughs> so they, for the first time in this church's history, they've hired a new senior pastor. Okay. So I guess the, <clears throat> the original senior pastor has retired. Okay. Is what it sounds like. Moved on in some degree. And yeah. what advice about what specifically? I guess on how to handle it. I think my advice would be make sure you got a plurality of elders first off. Yeah. And make sure that dude doesn't burn out because the amount of energy even that you have, and, and I know you'll totally own this, is like since we've really gone all in on the plurality of elders, you haven't had any, as far as I can tell, any shade of burning out no not even close the energy has been significantly higher and and you feel more supported yeah and i think that's that's the biggest thing is that it's not that i'm working less like they they've Mm -hmm. taken a load off of me in in terms of labor uh there's some things that you know like if, if i'm if i get tired and i need a week off from teaching they can certainly do that and and they do yeah. Um, and there there are times, I, I think I've heard of times where one of the elders, like going through a text like you do most Mondays, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, you go through the uh, next uh, text that will be preached on is, I've heard a couple of times of certain elders saying, I want that one. Yeah, and I've actually encouraged them to do that more. Um, you know, they're all of our elders, other than myself, they're volunteer lay elders Mm -hmm. so they have jobs and and but yeah like i i totally encourage them and they they have done it on occasion to say hey i would love to teach this text and and i'm always like go for it they've also said to me you know bradley you need a break um you know it could be for a variety of reasons Mm -hmm. but you need you need a break and and in fact one time they told me to um to take a break and they said, don't come, only come to one service this Sunday and then go home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that, that kind of support is so crucial to me now. Yeah. And, and it's crucial to me even more after I've experienced it than before I had it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Sometimes pastors come in and they don't realize um, how, how low they're running uh, because you know they're just working hard they're trying to be faithful and 
they don't realize the need for support. And I just met with a pastor um, uh, Monday morning of another church who has come through some really hard times in his local church, but the support of his leaders and elders is what's kept him going. Mm -hmm. So I would say yes to your point that the church, and I don't know how, is it his name's Eric that asked the question? Yes. I don't know how much influence Eric you have in the church, but um, you know, if, if there can be an initiative to put um, other elders in place alongside this new pastor who just share with him in the ministry of the word and prayer. Yep. It is it, it. Yes. When our elders help with pastoral care issues, when they take a funeral for me that I I can't get to, when they teach and and give me a a Sunday off, um, all of those things are incredibly helpful. But just having them read Scripture with me and pray with me uh, on more Mondays than not, it is so energizing, it is so helpful, it fuels me, and I, I... I literally don't feel alone, and I think that mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. So that would be one thing. I think the other thing I would say is that real, real quick to your yeah. point about the ministry of word and prayer is, and also let the deacons deacon. Yeah, let them do it. Let them do it. I mean that that's something that I think a lot of churches get confused on. They have a air quotes deacon board that sort of function in both an elder and deacon capacity. Yep. And what we've done is we've not separated the two, but we've just made distinctions between elders and deacons. Right. Deacons being focused on stewardship, elders on the ministry of the word and prayer. The deacons partner with the elders, but slightly under their oversight when it comes to the church as a whole. Yep. And that partnership is, I think, crucial um, because, and it doesn't mean that the deacons are less than, mm-hmm. it just means that they're functioning in the church in a different leadership capacity. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, so and so your next point was unless Yeah, you I think it. like um in th- this would really work both ways between the new senior pastor and the church leadership that's in place whatever that is and the congregation as a whole. Mm-hmm. I if if I was if if I had been brought in, voted in whatever to a new church, I would be taking initiative on this is to have as many contexts as possible where there can be you know, relational investment, right? Um, Q and a sessions, you know, for lack of a better example, think of a town hall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of dialogue about, um, you know, just who we are as people, right? What, what are the issues in the church? Where's this pastor coming from? What makes him tick? What, what is he passionate about? Uh, and what are we passionate about? Where do our passions align? Because, the single driving force between a church being in joyful unity versus bitter division is that we're there's a shared value. Right. And what is that shared value? I mean, ultimately, we would say it's Christ and the glory of Christ. I think we would all agree on that. Mm-hmm. But how is it that Jesus wants to work specifically in this church? And there might be differences of opinion um, on that in specific aspects, but I, I, I would venture to say 
there's some agreement and some shared unit, some some shared value that could bring about joyful unity in right. the church around right. this new senior pastor. And so, the only way I I know to discover that is through a lot of conversation, a lot of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know that you're going to necessarily accomplish that on a Sunday morning. So I think you have to think creatively about that. And you don't come in and upend everything and do exactly like you don't want to remake the church in your image immediately. No. And, and if I was talking to this pastor and I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's great and has a lot of wisdom to know this on his own. But if I was to talk to someone coming into an existing church, I would say, don't change. Mm -hmm. Don't try to change everything right away. Um, there's some value, I think, in if there if there are things that are significantly hindering the church in some way or another, you might go after those things and try to kill them quickly. Yeah, uh, I did that here. I didn't do it. I think in the best possible way I could have if I had it to do over with again. But there were some things that I had to deal with immediately because it was a significant hindrance to the church. There are other things right. that I let survive for quite a while and die a slow death because they weren't as much of a hindrance. Right. So I think you got you need wisdom and discernment in that. Fair. All right, so uh, next question or final question from Mike Springstead. Uh, are you familiar with Elisa Childers? So she used to be in the Christian pop group Zoe Girl. Yeah. And now she does a lot of apologetic stuff, was mm. on the brink of buying into progressive Christianity and then mm. realized that it's hot garbage. So that's okay. a lot of what she does is countering that okay. kind of thing. Uh, so apparently she just released an EP and skipped the CCLI thing and just said, hey, if you're a church and you want to use this song in congregational worship, go for it. Have at it. <laughs> Love it. Don't worry about licensing. Don't worry about paying me. Just do it. Um, so should, should more worship song producers do such? Uh, he said in their last CCLI reporting period, uh, he noticed that Red Mountain Church and Indelible Grace, I'm not actually familiar with either of those, but... Uh, Red Mountain Church and Indelible Grace have a number of songs that just aren't on CCLI anymore. And should this be more of a mindset for those who are producing music for congregational worship? Maybe. Yeah. This is my take on that. Um, I think we need to learn how to laud things like this that are, are really good and have a lot of value without necessarily leveraging a conviction on everybody else. Yeah. I don't think that it's wrong or wicked for songwriters and producers to use CCLI in order to make a living off their, you know, intellectual property. Right. Um, I have no problem with that. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think that there's anything in scripture that I know we did a podcast on this a while back with some guy that wrote a book and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I forget his name. Uh, man, it was the Dorian principle. If you want to search that one. Yeah. And I, I had pushed back on that because I I just don't see where scripture is explicitly commanding that there, there is a specific explicit command that we could abstractly apply in, in, in a comprehensive way to all Christian gospel content, whether it be songs or books or whatever, should be given away as opposed to charged. Right. 
I can't get there. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I'm inclined to go, hey, former Zoe girl, good for you. Yes. Way to go. And would it be great for more to do this? Sure, as the Lord leads them. Because I think what makes this great is that it's coming from a, a place of Christian freedom rather than it's a command that's been leveraged right. or a conviction that's being leveraged on somebody. I just got sent an article today about some of the collateral damage from uh, fundamentalism, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the fundamentalist church, right? Yep. Like I, I think those kinds of extra biblical um, laws that we put on people, yep. Yep. Uh, they, they, they end up causing harm and damage in, in a variety of ways. And so I just, I I'm content personally to just, you know, from the cheap seats, cause I'm not a songwriter. I've never written a book. So I, I, I acknowledge that I'm just content to say, Hey, good for you. Uh, I love it. Particularly with music. I think this is beneficial in that it would help churches to not have another hoop to jump through. Yeah. In terms of, you know, because we've we've talked about, you know, the, I think I labeled that episode the seeker-sensitive death rattle or something like that, um, where we have all these hoops to jump through. We have to make sure our, riding, our, our lighting is right. We have to make sure all of these things are just perfect. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we have to keep track of how many times we play each song in church so we can make sure that guy gets paid. Yeah. Obviously, nothing wrong with making sure the guy gets paid. Yep. Uh, but how much more free would a church be if they didn't even have to worry about that just go sing the song right well and uh, and i that's why i love it it seems like this lady is is just joyfully wanting to serve the local church right you know with the content that she's written and i i love that i think that's great you know there there it's interesting like the Apostle Paul, we just went through this in the Bible study a couple of weeks ago in Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Apostle Paul lauding the fact that when he came to Thessalonica, which he did this in several places, he did not take financial contributions from them. Right. He provided for his own needs through labor. And yet the same Apostle Paul would say, those who minister the gospel should make their living by the gospel. Right. Don't muzzle the ox. He quotes from the Old Testament. It's like, Paul, which is it? Yeah. You know, well, he he is a guy who, um, I think, because he was trying to stay above reproach in the context that he was going into, for the sake of the people that he felt called to serve, he decided he's going to make tents mm-hmm. and 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 therefore meet his physical needs and not take anything um, from from those people. Mm-hmm. The only offering he took was for the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. So. Um, I think there's always going to be an element of both. Um, right. and, I, and I love the more that we can laud Christian freedom and generosity in these ways, the better. You know, I wonder if, if there's maybe budding a, a bit of a patronage model in the future hmm. uh, again, hmm. where, you know, you, got, you have basically somebody with some money who pays an artist, hey, go write excellent music. Yeah, for the church, and then give it away, and then give it away. Here's a year's worth of salary, or something like that, or at least cover the production costs. Throw it on spot. I know that there's not good money in Spotify. I understand that, but you know, maybe sell some merch and stuff like that. Go get creative around yeah. a musical project. I think maybe 
maybe there's probably some room for that in the near future. I, I, I think that's a fantastic idea that something that could, you know, it, you know, there could be publishing houses that are literally 501c3s taking donations. Oh yeah. So that they could then, uh, you know, locate and identify people who can write and have something to say mm-hmm. and say, all right, we're going to pay you to write and then we're going to give the content away. Right. And there is just this circle of generosity that's fueling all of it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. There's, mm, now you got my juices flowing, dadgummit. <laughs> but but that, that's, I mean, you know, I I don't get paid for services rendered Mm-hmm. necessarily like you you could argue that like i do in other words i'm not i don't do what i do out of a sense of obligation that people give to this church i get paid you know from that giving and therefore i need to be at their hospital bed or i need right. to be you know whatever especially based on the percentage of what they've given compared to your <laughs> seriously so i i mean it, it it's people give to the church out of my my i believe that at least the majority of our people give out of out of joyful generosity, right? And 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 as an act of worship to God, mm-hmm. and then the church then pays me so that I can focus on serving the people without having to moonlight, right? That's what I think the New Testament lauds when yes. with Paul's lauding when he says, you know, don't muzzle the ox, don't make the pastor moonlight so he can devote himself fully to the ministry of the church. Yep. So I. I I don't know. There, there, there probably is something to be explored there because the the more Christian content is driven, like like there's so much money to be made, mm-hmm. and we we probably we need to end it because I got to go. But like when you think about the you know Mars Hill podcast and and some of the things, like the more money starts flowing through a church or through a pastor's hands, you know. Um, I just heard, I listened to a podcast the other day where Piper was talking about giving away all of the royalties from his books because he just did not want to be tainted by that. Right. Um, and, and I think that there's something to be said for that, that Christian content, especially in America has the potential to generate enormous amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And so could we remove some of the potential temptations and pitfalls by adopting a mo- patronage model like mm-hmm. you're talking about? And you, that. And you probably you probably end up with better quality music as well. That's not just geared toward Becky, you know, the the soccer mom with three kids who just wants cotton candy so she can feel better about herself and the fact that her kid threw up all over her shirt this morning or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you also avoid um, the. You're saying right. so you're not driven my, mainly by let's write something that'll sell. Right. Rather, right. let's just... Yeah. You're, you're also less driven by let me try and get as viral as possible right now on TikTok or Instagram or what have you. Is It takes all of the pressure off that and says just make good music. And then the music will speak for itself. And then obviously trusting God as sovereign over the market. If he wants a song to blow up, he'll make it blow up. You know that's that's interesting because like, I mean I I I just have a friend that uh you know he's he's written a book and it's it's going through all the steps of the you know publishing house that mm-hmm. he's using and it and it's like, um uh, he he's had some frustrations oh yeah 
uh, that oh, yeah. are mainly related to, I think, the way the system typically works. Yep. Could you, could you eliminate some of that with a charitable organization that's focused on publishing and employs writers and authors uh, to just go write content? Mm-hmm. And, and there's not this sort of like royalty thing going on. It's just we're, we're trying to produce content and give it away. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I think, I think we might be on to something. Somebody follow up with that. Let's discuss that this week in the Westminster Effect. Actually, Not we have a patent pending lounge. on this, so yeah. don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, expect, we expect a 20% cut out of any organization. Uh, no, we won't do that to you yet. <laughs> right. So go love God, love your neighbor, go make some music, and give it away, maybe, if you feel like it. Yeah. See you next time.